0: Our scripture reading this morning is John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, 13 through 17, 35 through 38. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind, Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they again said to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is God's word.
1: Thanks, Mom. I don't get to say that very often. I've really wanted to read the whole chapter. It was going to take a really long time. And um, and then, then as you start preparing, you realize this is like a seven-week series. I don't know how I'm going to get to all the things that are in here. Uh, this passage is about blindness and sight, but at a higher altitude, it's about gospel vision is about seeing, and it's about seeing with gospel eyes instead of human eyes. Uh, Just a few general observations before we get started. First, I hope your gospel vision of life appreciates the Bible for its great stories. Uh, Our Bible is where we find theology. It's where we find the person of Jesus, it's inspired, it's true, it's inerrant, but it's also a pretty spectacular read. And this passage is about the miraculous work of Jesus in this man's life, but it's also, I I hope we emphasize this morning, this is a story full of twists and turns, it's a story that hopefully you ask lots of questions about the details that are included and, and actually a lot of details that we don't have about the story. There's some surprises and, and a lot of hurt. There's family tension. There's a, a crescendo of, of of all the conflict that's going on, and then there's some resolution at the end. And so I hope you leave here this morning that you have a story, that God is writing a story in your own life, and that story is going to be full of a lot of the elements that you find here. There's wonder and awe, there's joy and sadness, grief, through it all. That Jesus is reconciling all things to himself, the entire world to himself, that he might receive all glory and praise. Second observation is that uh, this man doesn't have a name. You ever notice that this guy doesn't have a name? He's called the man born blind the whole story long. It'd have been shorter to call him, you know, buddy. Instead, but they call him the man born blind throughout the whole story. And John does this, right? There's also the woman at the well who doesn't have a name. And I hope that we identify that that's, that's significant, that there's this idea that the man born blind and the woman at the well, that's, that's us. We're gonna talk about that a little bit more. Third, gospel vision is that Jesus sees us. He sees our need for redemption because of our sin. He sees the way to reconcile us by taking on human flesh. And then we see, we see in him a life lived perfectly, a, a perfect death. And then he desires to see us transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can become like him and we can see like Jesus sees I'm going to spend a lot of our time in these first couple verses, and and as we unpack that, let's look at verse 1. It says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus always sees first. We don't see first. Jesus always sees first. Jesus sees this man, and he sees this man after most everyone else has stopped seeing this man. We learn later in the text that that he must be a beggar. He's been deemed insignificant. He's become destitute. And even the veracity of his story is about to be questioned. Gospel vision gives us the ability to see that you and I are the blind man, if not for the grace of God. Without Jesus, We're insignificant, we're beggars, we're destitute, and except for Jesus, we can't see the world the way that we're supposed to until we embrace his gospel vision. Gospel vision is that Jesus always sees first and he loves first, 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Gospel vision is that Jesus sees first because He has God's eyes and He commends having healthy eyes to us. Matthew chapter 6 Verse 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus desires that we would see with eyes that are just like his. Jesus sees his neighbor and is calling us to do the same. Gospel vision means that Jesus not only sees the work, he begins the work, he finishes the work. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so we believe that God is the one who sees, he's the one who initiates, he's the one who finishes. And then finally, the gospel vision is that Jesus sees people who are not just physically blind. He sees people who are spiritually blind and then he serves their greatest good. Jesus actually heals blindness seven different times in the Gospels, more than any other condition that he heals. But this is the only miracle in the Gospels that's at least recorded explicitly where the sufferer has been afflicted since birth. And so it's significant that this man is born blind. It's part of the the great tension of the story. But Jesus also sees people who are spiritually blind. He seeks those people out, looks for them, finds them. Jesus says that He's come to seek and save the lost. And so our aim is to seek, to see, to pursue just like He does. And so we want to see the world like Jesus does. When my son Tucker was in first grade, he came home from school one afternoon with a form that indicated that he had, he had um, failed the vision test at school. It was the first failing grade he had ever received. <laughs> we had no idea at that point in his life that there was anything wrong. In fact, so much so that I immediately doubted the report. I mean those eye doctors, can you really trust them? As it turned out, after we did a few more appointments, uh, we learned that there was a miscommunication between his brain and his eye and that his left eye uh, was struggling to work in that functional way, that his right eye was really doing the lion's share of the work and if we didn't address what was going on with his left eye, that eventually the right eye would just keep doing all the work, the left eye would just quit altogether and he would be blind in one eye. Tucker thought he was seeing just fine. And we thought that he was seeing just fine. But we discovered that his vision was incomplete. It needed some work. And at that point in his life, it was actually kind of stunted that only one eye was working. And we know that the baseline of the gospel is that we're made in God's image, that we're made to reflect his character, that our aim is to see the world as Jesus does to love God as he does, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But the reality is, is we're born into sin, into a form of spiritual blindness. And like my son, many of us growing up that we are seeing the world as we should see the world, but in fact, our vision is stunted. It's incomplete. Because we all do things when we look back and we think, what was I thinking? Well, it's because we didn't see it right in the first place. And we need Jesus to open our eyes to him and then we need to understand what it looks like to see the world as he does. And so my son needed glasses and his glasses helped him see the world completely. He didn't even know that he didn't see the world the right way. If we wanna see the world like Jesus does, we need new glasses. We need a new way of seeing the world. In a way that instead of us seeing our own efforts, we we see with God's lens on the entire world. Jesus sees this man born blind when nobody else does. Followers of Jesus see differently. When I was just two years old, Nintendo began. It was a long time ago, almost 30 years ago, that the first Nintendo Entertainment System came out. My parents are here this morning, they know that there were repeated pleas during my childhood to own a Nintendo Entertainment System. They never succumbed to those pleas. (laughs) I'm also pretty convinced now that they stacked my financial deck against me in such a way that I never accrued enough allowance money to buy it on my own so I'd ask and ask and ask and then I never had enough money to get my own. I remember going to friends' houses and playing Super Mario Brothers. And the thing about video games in those days is you couldn't turn it off and then come back to where you stopped. In those days you had to finish it all at once. And I had to do a little research since I never had a video gaming system. It's okay. I'm thankful that I never did. There were 32 levels and eight worlds across Super Mario Brothers. And so if you wanted to finish it in one sitting without, you know, heaven forbid, the electricity cut out while you were, you know, in the middle of it, that was a big time commitment. Yeah, but what was really cool is when you discovered that you could finish certain, you know, you could get through the first world or the second, and then you could skip whoa, and you could skip into these later worlds and and you could, and then we all know that there are cheat codes in these video games now where you can, instead of doing all of the hard work that it requires to get from point A to point B all the way through the game, you can cheat. Man, cheating sounds great. Sometimes. But I've thought about how reading the Bible, when we read stories like this, it's actually hard work. And we have cheat codes in the Bible. The Bible is true. But there are cheat codes in the Bible. Did you know that the headings in the passages that you read were not in the original translations? (laughs) Not in the original translations. And these headings, they're like cheat codes because we read the Bible with 21st century updates and it's all too easy to look over certain things. When you read the heading, Jesus heals a man born blind. That's a cheat code, y'all. Because it removes the curiosity and the mystery and the wonder of the story in certain ways. And actually, sometimes these headings are the, the cheat codes where we skip over the humanity of the whole thing. There is a lifetime of experience for this guy born blind. We find out later in the passage that he's of age, which means he's at least 13, but the way that he interacts with the Pharisees, he seems a lot older than that. We don't know his exact age, but this guy was born blind. And his parents didn't know that he was born blind. I consulted with Jim Newman, our first of an elder and retired optometry school professor, and, and he let me know that with modern interventions, we can discern infants being born blind within about a week of their birth. But without modern interventions, who knows how long it took for these parents to discover this about their son. There was a distinct moment when his parents realized what was going on. They discovered one morning, one afternoon, one evening, that life would never be the same for them or for their child. My son was not born blind. But we have learned a little bit more about what he was born with. Some of you have children, relatives, co-workers who have been born with children where one day you realized this is, this is what life looks like for us. And if you're one of those people in this room, uh, you have neighbors who live next door to you and they don't know Jesus. But they will see your love for Jesus in the way that you love your children, all of your children And Lord willing, the Lord will bring those people to understand who Jesus is because of you. And you may have a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. But they have a child who is born with something that will affect them for the rest of their lives. And because the Lord has placed you in geographic proximity to those people, you have the unique opportunity to demonstrate the love of Jesus to them. This story is about the humanity of living life and how God brings us into unique circumstances that he might receive glory. But there are some questions that are asked in this passage, and they're tough ones, aren't they? Verses 2 and 3 His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents but, the works, but that the works of Jesus the works of God might be displayed in him how does Jesus cause the disciples to see Jesus sees first then the disciples see but what does he do that invokes their attentiveness because there's no indication in the passage that there's a verbal cue from Jesus maybe there was but we just don't know my guess is, is, that Jesus has enough sensitivity to his neighbor, the blind man, that he doesn't say, look, guys, a blind man. Does he give him a little, little wink? Where are they? What is the scene of this story? There are so many questions that are unanswered in this passage. Is he in an alleyway by himself? Is, is he out in the open? Where… Where are they and how does Jesus all of a sudden move from seeing himself to getting the disciples to see? And is there any dialogue between the disciples seeing this guy and asking this question? I would love to know. But their question is an interesting one. It's understandable in a lot of ways that the disciples would see the situation just like this. I read a commentator this week who puts it this way. Quote, the disciples' question reflected popular Jewish opinion of the day. Clearly, the Old Testament taught that sin brings divine punishment. And so this cause and effect relationship led many of the Jews, as well as many modern people, to conclude that every bad effect had an identifiable sinful cause. And here's a passage that relates to this, Exodus 20, verse 5 and 6, as Uh, God commands them and warns them against idol worship. He says, You shall not bow down to idols or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so there's a precedent from the Old Testament that the consequences of sin extend on down. And so the disciples ask this question, And again, who knows how close they are to this guy. They're having a theological conversation about someone who's been suffering their entire lives. They're kind of missing the humanity of it all, right? They're missing, this is a real person. Hopefully the the blind man doesn't overhear the conversation because typically those who are missing one sense have a stronger sense of the other senses, And so he's sitting there and guys, guys, I'm blind. I'm not deaf. (laughs) One of our challenges in this passage is asking, is the disciples' question valid? Who sinned? I'd say yes. It's very understandable that our finite understanding looks to explain it in ways that account it to some kind of linear thought process. I'd I'd say yes, it's okay to wonder about the derivation of our circumstances. It's okay to ask these questions. But no, it's incomplete to assume that natural reasoning explains everything in the world. And no, because Jesus is about to blow up their framework, isn't he? People who are going through what the blind man and his parents have gone through, they've got questions. They've got popular questions. Questions that we should never back down from. In fact, questions like these, as we're about to see, questions like these are what lead to gospel conversations. We should never be afraid to dialogue around questions like these in intellectually honest ways because we believe that there are answers that can be explained only by the hand of God in fact because we believe in the power of the gospel we answer these questions with the power of the gospel according to John 1 when Jesus took on flesh and made his dwelling among us he was full of grace and truth and so there are great truths that we bring to light when we have these conversations, but there is also immense amounts of grace that we apply. So here's where the, the passage starts to get really fun. Verse three, and y'all know I'm not gonna cover all the verses, oof, we don't have time for all that. Verse three, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know, it's not uncommon throughout the Gospels for people to bring a dichotomistic question to Jesus. That's your SAT word for the day. Also a shout out to Cole Huffman who used to bring all kinds of big words to us. (laughs) A dichotomistic question is when people say, is it this or is it that? And Jesus loved to give an answer that was outside of the way they asked the question. Last week when Ron preached He shared a similar example from John chapter 4. The woman in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus answers not with an either or kind of answer. Jesus gives a whatever answer. He says, whatever scenario you're going to throw my way, I'm going to point you to the glory of God instead of this Merely human understanding of it all. In our pas- passage with the man born blind, did sin cause this? Either this guy or his parents? And Jesus has a different answer. It's not about who sinned. It's about whatever brings God's glory. Whatever, bring God, whatever brings God glory. That's where we're going, y'all. All y'all. See, I've been here a while. Paul put it this way in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus points us beyond our human answers to find whatever answers. Whatever we do, whatever we've been through, whatever you bring my way, whatever I'm born with, whatever my children are born with, all of that. We're aiming to find joy in Jesus and do whatever we can to give him glory. And actually there's evidence in Paul's letters that the trials we go through give us opportunity to communicate the gospel. Galatians 4, 13. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. The idea here is this. Paul is going through some kind of challenge, some kind of bodily ailment. We don't know what it is. But that bodily ailment possessed the doorway to sharing the gospel with the Galatians. And our trials, though difficult, are sometimes not the result of sin, but in order for the glory of God and the communication of the gospel to take place all over the world. And actually, there's another opportunity here, isn't there? It allows those who are gonna hear the gospel to care for the one sharing. Sometimes it's easy for those sharing to not receive. Sometimes it's easy for those who are speaking to not listen. Sometimes those who are doing the most caring have the most trouble receiving care one of the great blessings for us has been receiving care because sometimes it's really hard to ask so what if the blind man was never healed by jesus this is an interesting Question that I have. What if the man was never healed by Jesus? Could the works of God still be done in him? See, the, the God, he hasn't been healed yet, right? It is not his sin, and it's not his parents' sin, but so the works of God could be displayed in him. What if the works of God were not healing him of his blindness? What if the healing that we're looking for doesn't come, and the healing is happening another way? What if the works of God are not the things that we really asked for, but it's some other thing? In this situation, the man born blind is healed of his blindness, but Jesus does not have to heal our physical circumstances in order for our spiritual attitude to be just like his. I'm not promised healing in my lifetime, and some of the things that we're going through were not promised healing. The challenge is whether or not our attitude is like his. And so one of my prayers has become Psalm 34:1, 30, one, that I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continually be on my lips. So now we turn to gospel celebration. Gosh, if we had time Jesus puts mud on the man's eyes, sends him to wash in the pool. He comes back seeing. How that transpires and the miracle of it all is probably several weeks of sermons that that we don't have time for this morning. So I'm going to take that at face value and make an observation about everything that transpires after that happens. For the rest of the chapter, if you look at all of the characters involved, except for Jesus, no one, Celebrates the miracle of the man being healed of blindness. Nobody celebrates the man being healed. This guy has been blind his entire life. And instead of celebrating, everybody discounts the whole thing. The neighbors, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. They seem pretty ambivalent, don't they? It is he. Not, that's him. No way. Others said, no, but he is like him. Y'all ever seen the movie Wife, or the show Wife Swap, where they, there's no swap in here. How is this not the same guy? There's no switcheroo here. And he kept saying, I'm the man. No one believes him, and no one celebrates. This is tragic. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees asked him, in verse 15 and 16, how he had received his sight, and he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. The, Jesus, the Pharisees missed the miracle for the mud. They missed the miracle for the mud. We should be celebrating that, that this man was healed. And they miss it. Kind of reminds me of the prodigal, parable. Prodigal you know, the, the younger son, they're both prodigal, right? But the younger son comes home and the older son's like, no, I don't want to be a part of this party. This is not my kind of party because I don't like him because he ran off and now he's back and I'm mad at him and dad at the same time. I'm not going to join that party Boy, it's tough that this guy just has the most miraculous event in his lifetime, and everybody's missing it. When miraculous things happen, may we as the people of God give glory to God for what happens? The Pharisees can't and won't celebrate, and there's a lot of reasons why, but here are just a few. They didn't see it themselves. And so if they didn't see it, it wasn't valid. But here's what Jesus says to John in John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It seems like the Pharisees missed some faith, didn't they? That this was even possible. The second reason the Pharisees couldn't celebrate is the healer was outside of their tradition. Jesus didn't fit into their way of thinking about it. They discounted Jesus by dismissing the healing as being impossible. They actually labeled him a sinner. And the other thing that's really interesting, it just, the sense that I get in reading this is that they don't believe that anything is possible with God. They seem to be bound by the limitations of man. This man was born blind. There's no way this could have happened. I hope I never miss the miracles for the mud. I hope I always find causes to celebrate the miraculous power of God, even if I don't see it myself. Even if the way that it happens is kind of outside the way I think it should be. I hope I always find that anything is possible with God. I hope I always have eyes to see. Here's how the passage concludes. Jesus hears that they had cast him out, which is a whole other sermon about how he goes through so much persecution immediately after he is healed. And Jesus finds him. So Jesus sees him first. Jesus meets his need. Jesus finds him. And he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. So Jesus heals him and then Jesus is actually intentionally absent for a little while, isn't he? He actually removes himself for the situation and comes back and he gives him eyes to see physically before he completely understands how to see spiritually, doesn't he? reconciles what he's been waiting for his whole life, and then says, do you know who you're talking to? And reveals himself then. And that's really interesting because Jesus does this sometimes. Sometimes he's physically healing people before they see completely spiritually. And then there's other times like Mark chapter two where the paralytic is lowered through the roof and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody goes, can you do that? And he says, yeah, I can. You want the proof? Why don't you get up and walk? And Jesus displays his power to forgive sins when he heals physically. But sometimes Jesus meets people's physical need before he heals them spiritually. And so is a very practical application point for us. Sometimes we're going to present the gospel to people first, and they're going to hear it, and they're going to respond, and then we're going to reconcile all the things that come after that, after the people make that decision. But sometimes we're going to meet people's physical needs long before they understand why that really, really matters most. And so let's be looking to do both of those things. Listening to God and responding as he calls us to do. Because there are a lot of people out there who are praying for physical healing. Sometimes for a lifetime. And God only forgives their sins. And then for others, people are, are healed of their physical ailments. But they never see Jesus. We know folks who have been through terrible trials, of physical challenge, and they're healed, but they don't ever embrace Jesus as Lord. You know, people have asked over the last couple months, uh, how can we pray for your family? And one of the first people that asked me that question, I said, you know, you can pray that one day my son opens the door to his room and he walks out with all the words, all the words, you can pray that my son will be miraculously healed. And I'm trying to pray for that, not so it's easier for us, but so that God receives glory for that. Though that's a hard prayer. Cole used to say, motives are multiple and mixed and I feel that. You know, it's hard to even understand what takes place in this passage because it's so amazing, it's so unbelievable. But I believe that the same Jesus who put mud on this man's eyes and the same Jesus whose cloak healed the woman who had been bleeding and the same Jesus who healed the centurion's daughter from a distance is the same Jesus who can heal today. Don't we believe the Scriptures to be true in that way? And so I pray that I will have eyes to see Jesus as Savior and to find joy in the circumstances that He has chosen uniquely for us to experience and for you to experience, even if healing doesn't come on this side of heaven. And I know that He'll do that because he wants all of us to give him praise in all things. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this wonderful story. It is a personal encouragement to me to continue to look to you I pray that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us eyes to see those who have been overlooked, those who have been looked past. And I pray for those like me. I'm recognizing that so many are struggling with lifelong challenges like we are. And so my circumstances are not special, they're ordained they are from you and they're not without your perfect pleasing will in mind would you help us to look to you as our source of joy and contentment knowing that you are faithful jesus we love you thank you that you have Shower your love upon us. That we are your children. And I pray uh, that we would acknowledge you to be with us and present in all things. Amen.